following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. So, we're going back to 2 Peter this morning. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8 of chapter 3, and that's page 1019 in the Pew Bibles. Um, I'm really glad that I write down notes because there's a lot of other stuff swimming around in my mind that are all incomplete thoughts. So I know that these ones, at least on Thursday when I wrote them down, were complete. Uh, So I'm going to stick with these uh, and just um, try not to get distracted. Um, So as we look at chapter 3, just a reminder, um, we just, oddly enough, came out of chapter 2. (laughs) which was uh, dedicated to a warning about false teachers um, that have always been around um, and will continue to be, uh, to be wary of them and to be sure to not be like them. Um, And here in chapter 3, Peter warns of a different kind of problematic person or type of people um, that he calls scoffers. Uh, and he has some uh, some very important reminders for his readers, uh, which, again, oddly enough, includes us. Uh, here we are reading it. So let's look at the text and l- l- let it speak for itself. Second Peter 3, s- starting at verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful to be gathered together in your presence this morning around your holy word. And we pray now, Lord, that your spirit would speak, um, that your word would come alive to us and we would be changed by it, by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in your word and we would be made more like you. 
We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this is not a Christmas sermon. Um, uh, not really Christmassy at all, actually. Um, I'm not going to apologize for that, um, but if that's what you're looking for, you're probably not going to get it. Um, Peter has written this second letter as a reminder, uh, and his goal was to remind his readers of the things that were most important. And verse 2 shows us exactly what Peter felt those things were, or what that one thing was, and that is the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Now, um, not to beat a dead horse, but uh, I would remind you of, if you were here last week or or heard last week's sermon, um, it only had one point, uh, and that is get to know your Bible. So here we are again. This is where Peter starts off. Get to know your Bible. He starts off this whole new chapter, uh, but Peter didn't stick that big number three there. Um, anyway, that wasn't his idea. That's just for your reference. Um, so he's saying the same thing. Remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. He's saying, remember what the Bible says. Now, things that the apostles were saying were still being written down, right, in, in what we now call the New Testament. Um, but by the time this letter was written, a lot of those other letters had been written. Paul was writing at the same time. Peter had already recorded his gospel, uh, Mark's gospel, um, and Matthew as well. So the word is getting around in written form. And Peter is reminding those people of what those words say. And getting to know what the Bible says will not only protect us from false teachers, right? Because you can't know what is false until you know what is genuine, right? So getting to know our Bible will not only protect us from false teaching and false teachers, but it will also protect us from people that Peter calls scoffers. Not a lot of major league sports teams named the scoffers. Um, Although, I mean, that would be the Pittsburgh scoffers, right? We just scoff at the teams from Pittsburgh. I do. Don't even think that's funny. Sorry. Um, So, Okay, if a false teacher is someone who teaches what is false, a scoffer must be someone who scoffs. Right? I am here for theological richness and depth of teaching, right? Well, the Bible says actually quite a bit about scoffers, and I'll give you a little hint. Scoffers are never the good guys. They are never on the right side of any argument. Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. There's actually 107 references to scoffers in the Bible, and that's just in the English Standard Version. 
uh, and not one of them is positive. These are not um, what has become popular in, in uh, movies and storytelling in our day, that the bad guys just kind of misunderstood, and they have a redemption arc. You know, villains are villains, right? Scoffers are the bad guys. They're, they're not, um, they don't, um, see, I write things down so I don't get on trails like that. They, they're not, scoffing and being a scoffer is not a positive thing. They reject wisdom. They reject rebuke. They get beat up a lot in Proverbs. Um, that's fun if you like want to have some fun with that. But scoffers don't learn their lesson. A scoffer, biblically speaking, in case you're wondering, again, is a person who scoffs. And a person who scoffs is a person that mocks that which is most important. Uh, I teeter on the edge because I, I have a, this sense of humor that I get in trouble sometimes. Um, but this is a malicious mocking, not just goofing around. According to Peter, these scoffers, first of all, in verse 3, will follow their own sinful desires. They're not motivated by righteousness. Martin Luther wrote about these um, scoffers. He said, these are our Epicureans and Sadducees. I'll explain that in a minute. Who believe neither one thing nor the other, who live as they think best and walk after their own lusts, considering permitted whatever suits their pleasure. Examples of such are met on every hand. Now, when I read that, I was I had to double check who wrote it because it sounded an awful lot like today. Only Martin Luther wrote that in the 1500s. Um, and this is still, these folks are still around. Epicureans and Sadducees, right? You started, you, were, that you woke up with those names on your lips this morning, I'm sure. What Martin Luther called Sadducees, other scholars call antinomians. Right, we're having vocabulary fun this morning. Uh, antinomians, this is... Um, yeah, if you forget these words, that's that's fine. But I think that the meaning of these words will ring in your ears. An Epicurean was someone who saw a pleasant and smooth life as the highest aim. While an antinomian held that because faith alone is necessary for salvation, morality or following the moral law is of no use. Okay, so what that means is you have people who see pleasant life. That's goal number one. I just want things to be smooth and go easy for me. Um, And of course, that doesn't exist right today. Nobody here has that even close to their top goal. Right. We prefer life to be difficult and uh, challenging. Right. Hmm. You want to check our prayer list just in case. Uh, you feeling that way? Uh, and an antinomian, again, I'm I'm forgiven, and so therefore, you know, if I sin, it doesn't really matter. Okay? There's no, no real use to uh, aligning my behavior with biblical principles or, or uh, the law because I'm forgiven, so it doesn't matter. Okay? Uh, these aren't, um, these aren't uh, good. But they're very popular, this way of thinking and this way of living. 
And these are the two these are just two types of scoffers that were active in Peter's day when this letter was first written. And again, they are alive and well today. They may not have their own websites, but they can certainly be found everywhere. Maybe even inside our own houses. Maybe even inside our church. Uh, You may have brought one with you to church today, even if you rode alone. Um, When we hold a pleasant and smooth life as our highest aim, what do we do? We scoff at the will of God. We scoff at his desire for our holiness because happiness is job one, right? I just want to be happy. I want everybody to be happy. This this is not a biblical principle. It's Epicureanism. When we act as if sin has no consequence just because we're already forgiven, we scoff at Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Friends, every time we sin, though our sins are forgiven and forgotten by the Father, we make Christ's sacrifice necessary again and again and again. But Peter points out another kind of scoffer, as if those two weren't enough for us. One who scoffs at the promise of Christ's return. Verse 4 says, They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Do we ever forget that Christ is coming back? Again, is that is that your first thought when you wake up in the morning? I hope Jesus comes back today. Not just because like the rent is due and I don't have the money, you know, or I just want all this difficulty to kind of be done with. If Jesus comes back, then we all get to go to his kingdom and then right work job done. Right. And then we don't have to worry about anything anymore. I. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm talking to me, and if you're here too, great. But, like, this is me. I just want my problems to stop, you know. Life is hard, and that stinks. And I don't want to be like that anymore. But Christ's return will accomplish a lot more and a lot better than that. And we're in the season of the year that we call Advent, where the world draws its attention to the, to the first advent of Christ. And the word advent simply means coming, right? The first coming of Christ. Uh, advent celebrates his first coming as a baby in Bethlehem. Was that the first appearance of Jesus ever? No. He is the eternally existent son of God. He has always existed, right? Advent uh, celebrates and remembers When Jesus was incarnated, right? God put on flesh. You can read that in John 1. And and that's that coming that we focus on and celebrate. But on the horizon is Christ's second coming. A second advent. Jesus is coming again. Do you know how I know that? It's not secret wisdom. (laughs) 
they told me this in school, right? I didn't go to school. So, what? Um, The Bible says that, that Jesus is coming again, right? And when we know our Bible, we know that's true, right? Peter wanted to remind his readers, we know that Jesus is coming back because the Bible tells us. The prophets told us. Your apostles are telling you. Jesus said in John 14, 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. That's that's Jesus. I, I don't know about your copy of the Bible, but those letters are in red in mine. That's significant. It's, it's no more significant than the words in black because the Holy Spirit <laughs> kind of gave us all of them. But um, sorry. I, I, sorry. Luke chapter 21, starting at verse 25. Jesus said, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and the foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Matthew 24, 29, Jesus said, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And when Jesus had said these things as they were looking on, He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Is this fun? 1 Thessalonians 4.14 For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Hebrews 9, like the whole Bible, right? Want to read the whole thing? Because it's all about... (laughs) All right, I have two more. Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And lastly, James 5, 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 
Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, this is by no means a comprehensive list of the words of the apostles and prophets on the coming of Christ. But we got to deal with the argument here. What do the scoffers say? That was 2,000 years ago. Where is he? Right? The canon of Scripture was closed 2,000 years ago. So, where is he? Our people have made careers out of predicting the day. Right? We're going we're gonna to look at this Old Testament prophecy and our study of you know, numerology and the meanings behind the numbers and the sevens and the weeks and the this and the that. I know what day it is. It's whatever. No. That's a wasted effort. The son doesn't even know the day. The father will send him back. Only the father knows that day. We're not going to figure it out. There ain't ain't math for that. And ain't nobody got time for that. So don't bother. Just be ready when he comes. So they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Right? Time's rolling on. Where's Jesus? Look, nothing's changed. Everything is just rolling along. But they deliberately overlook this fact. That the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. By the word of God, the heavens and the earth were created. Boom. You want a big bang? Read Genesis 1. God said it. Bang. It happened. Right? By the word of God, the world that then existed was deluged by water and perished. You can look that up in Genesis 7 and go into any nursery and see Noah and the ark and all the animals. (sighs) Drives me crazy. Peter uses the word uh, that we translate deluge. The Greek word uh, is where we get our English word cataclysm. I won't try to pronounce it for you. I almost did. I'm not going to. God intervened cataclysmically in the flood of Noah. Right? Things were rolling on. They had been for 1,500 years when the flood of Noah happened. And God spoke and things changed. And he will do it again. Next time, it won't be a flood. It won't be water He promised that it won't ever be water again. That's why we have the rainbow. That's why we have the rainbow. God's promise. But the world is being stored up for another cataclysm with fire. According to Peter, those scoffers deliberately overlooked the facts 
of creation by the word of God. They overlooked the fact of the cataclysmic flood of Noah by the word of God, in which all of mankind except Noah and his family were destroyed. And they overlooked the fact that by the same word of God, the heavens and the earth that now exist are being stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But Peter has a reminder for the church. Scoffers overlook those facts. But you, beloved, don't overlook overlook this one fact, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. This is... um, this is quite a saying, right? Uh, and this we get quoted this, or we quote this sometimes when people are being impatient. You know, I'm just waiting for the Lord to do this one thing for me, and I've been waiting all this time. And like, well, yeah, all this time? That's like not even a nanosecond in God's economy, right? The Bible, com- a Bible knowledge commentary says, people see time against time. God sees time against eternity. In fact, time only seems long because of man's finite perspective. We don't even can't see past the nose on our own face. It was explained to me uh, that God stands outside of time. Time is a finite thing. It's got a beginning. It's got an end. And, And it's here. And God's out here, right? He is apart from that. He's involved in time, but he exists in eternity. And time is a finite thing to him. God's eternal ages measurer, whatever that looks like, differs completely from our hourglass. Because we can't even, I can't even focus for 10 minutes. How long has this been going? Just as God the Father began creating on the day that he intended, he started it raining around the ark the day that he intended. He will send the Lord Jesus, or he did send the Lord Jesus to be born in Bethlehem on the day he intended. And he will send Jesus back to judge the living and the dead on the day that he intends. And we can trust him with that. Our responsibility is to be prepared for that day. And we're, we're prepared for that day by trusting Jesus with our sin, trusting Jesus with the rest of our lives. We trust him as Savior for forgiveness and trust him as Lord for direction. And we stop worrying about when is the day going to be? Because we know when the day comes, we're ready. Again, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. We worry about what's going on in our lives. We worry about are we going to get all the enough Christmas presents for everybody? Did I get everybody on my list? We worry about these these things that seem major, and I don't mean to downplay, you know, stuff that's going on in life. Jesus says, trust. Trust in God. Trust also in me. You don't have to. You don't have to worry. 
I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back again to take you to be with me where I am. Like, that's the plan. Scoffers are going to scoff, and they're going to make fun of that. And they have been making fun of that for eons. But we don't have to give in to that because we know the truth. We have it right here in God's word. And we can trust it because we trust him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Um, I pray that your Holy Spirit would interpret the noises that I've been making uh, to the hearts of your people. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that uh, has not put their trust in you for the forgiveness of their sin, who has not trusted you with the direction for their lives, I pray that now, even in this moment, they just simply ask for your forgiveness for their sin, to admit that they have sinned against you, and to entrust the rest of their lives to you for direction. Father, I, I pray for those of us that have been walking with you but still seem to get distracted by the desire for a smooth and pleasant life, the desire for happiness over holiness. Especially in this time of year where we buy birthday presents that we don't give to you. I just, uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to focus, to remember your promises, to remember that we can trust you with everything, remember that you're at work in all things, no matter how difficult they are for us. Help us, Lord, to not forget that which is most important, your promises, your word, what you've done, what you are doing and what you want from us. We're so grateful for your love that sent your son to die on the cross in our place to take the punishment for our sin. We're so thankful that you have given us your Holy Spirit. We're so thankful that you've given us your word that by it we might know you more because we do love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.